Hey, and welcome to episode 12 of the Profitable Franchisees podcast. Today, I am interviewing Bev Taylor from InExpress. Bev was named Australian Franchisee of the Year in 2017. And I think that this is going to be an absolute gem of an interview. Get ready, get a pen, a notebook and get ready because Bev absolutely shares from her heart and there is some absolute gems of information in here for you. So let's get started. Hi, I'm Tracy Leake and I've been supporting franchisees to build profitable businesses and lives for more than a decade. I'm the first to say that business is far simpler than we make it. So how do you build a successful and profitable franchise business without the stress and struggle? Welcome to the Profitable Franchisees Podcast. Welcome, Bev. I've been excited all day about interviewing you and that's probably because whenever I talk to you, I just seem to laugh a lot and uh, you're just one of those souls that always makes it happy. And I do remember on a bus ride at the National Franchise Convention a couple of years ago, the funniest bus ride I've ever had with you and Warren Ballantyne and we are in the back seat of the bus and doing Scottish accents, I'm pretty sure. So I'm sure today's interview is going to produce a few laughs, um, but I'm really excited to have you on the podcast today. And what I'd love to start with is now that I've welcomed you, is for you to tell us a little bit about InExpress and and what you actually do. What a fantastic introduction. I'd forgotten all about that bus ride, but that was one <laughs> of the best parts of that conference. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. Loved it. <laughs> Thanks for the introduction, Tracy. As you've mentioned, I work for InExpress and we do courier and logistics consultancy. So we work in small to medium enterprises, generally who are importing or exporting into Australia. We provide low-cost discounts or high-discount low-cost courier um, for people who ship probably between about once a month and a few times a week who don't get big discounts from the carriers. And we help them with their full supply chain just to help with the logistics consultancy and securing those discounts with DHL. CNT, FedEx, and the tolls of the world. It's fantastic. Um, so, before InExpress, what were you doing? And you better tell everybody about where this accent is also from um, when you tell us what you were doing before InExpress. Where did you actually <laughs> originate from in the world? Absolutely. So, you can probably tell from the accent I'm from England. And I'm from Yorkshire, quite northern England. Hence, it's quite a bit stronger than the average Queen's English. (laughs) Uh, England is certainly where I started my business career. I used to sit in a call centre with 100 other people and make 130 calls a day selling research reports. And I worked for this company for about 10 years, uh, moved on to the team leader role, which was really nice. And it's this company that helped me secure a sponsorship in Australia. So 13 years ago, I decided to do some travel, came over on the working visa. And within a few weeks of working for the same company in Australia, they had an office in Sydney. They offered to sponsor me. And so my life in Australia began. Um, I'll be honest, I actually wasn't that great at sales. Um, I talked to people. But when I came to Australia, I did more account management and I was pretty terrible. And they moved me to client services because I was bad. 
I got involved in doing more admin. <laughs> so I was very good at admin because people couldn't say no. That was dependent on how hard you worked, not the sales technique. Um, so I became admin. I eventually got made redundant and I became an office manager and a PA before I took the plunge to InExpress. So what was it about InExpress that made you to de- decide to invest in that brand and what made you decide to make that leap to go into business for yourself? It's a really good question because I actually did much leaping. I did a lot of small shuffling and scared peeping around the corner. <laughs> uh, my brother in the UK, <laughs> he bought some franchises with my father um, in a business called ChemDry when he was about 20. And he grew them from franchise to 10 franchises over the space of 10 years. So he's very embedded in the franchising world. And he worked with InExpress as a consultant in the UK where our head office is. We'd recently started in Australia and he saw the opportunity. Wasn't very much developed here. Great time to get into the market. But I told him flatly, no chance. I'm not good enough. Um, I'm not clever enough. I could never run my own business. So it took about a year of him trying to convince me that I'd be great for it. And I guess when you've been made redundant as well, you're quite scared about messing up your future or losing years in the industry, maybe going down the wrong path or what it might mean if it all fails and you have to go back to the workplace. So I was actually really nervous and it took a a lot of convincing, a lot of benchmarking, having a look at InExpress, how the other franchisees work, what they were doing. But it was just opportunity. I would never have considered not sharing with the model or being involved and be able to give me that first-hand experience. So I've got my brother to thank for everything. Wow. It's amazing what you learn about people. And I would never have assumed that you would have been nervous. Like every time I meet you, I just think, oh, you're just so confident. That's a really great story. You know, in preparation for our interview today, I was reading some information up on you because I know the funny Bev. I was like, oh, I need to get to know the business Bev. And when you joined InExpress, now tell me if this is right, but you didn't actually have a car and you had to walk or use public transport to do all of your sales calls. So is that true? And then tell me a bit more about that, about how you actually got your business started. It certainly is true. I never had a car previous to InExpress because I worked in the city and I literally had no need for one. So it was easier just to hire a car if I needed one. Then we bought the franchise. Me and my brother actually went in partnership on the franchise from the UK and we spent all our money on the franchise. We had no money. Um, We had savings to keep me living, but we had no money to purchase a car. So we made the decision that we would focus on areas in the city and close by enough to get on public transport. I look at these days very fondly, but at the time I did not look at them fondly at all. (laughs) As you can imagine, um, I remember eating my packed lunchbox. I had salad in a packed lunch and I was hidden in a belter because it was torrential rain. And, oh, it was awful. It was just, I was running between building to building, trying to keep out of the rain, hoping somebody would talk to me so that I could stay out the rain. 
Um, it was just one of those times, many people have it, money is tight to start a franchise and you've got to pick what you need to spend your money on. Um, so I do remember one experience as well. I managed to score security in Bankstown Airport, which is not easy to get to. I had to take four different trains or buses and it took two and a half hours to get there and two and a half hours to get back. Now, I am pleased to say these are still my customers, which really made it worthwhile. But I never wasted any time either, Tracy. You know, everything has a silver lining. So, yes, I was spending a lot of time traveling, but I was new to business. When I was on the train, I could read about learning business. I could do some sales training. I could do customer service calls or look for leads. So on the flip side, it meant I could be productive during those journeys. Um, but it is just what it is. Um, you know, we got the car after nine months or six to nine months. And um, I'll share a story with you. I'd only had the car a few months when, ironically enough, a logistics big shipping container smashed into me on the motorway and it was so ironic that it was a logistics truck couldn't believe it um wrote off the car but luckily I did get paid out by the insurance company quickly so I got back on the road quickly but it just you know at the beginning many things didn't quite get to plan but you just pick yourself up brush yourself down and move on it's so funny when you're talking about this because you're talking like as if everybody does this, like this this is normal. Like doesn't everybody just learn on the train? Doesn't everybody just do whatever it takes? And and this is not the case. Like I am going to so use your story in the future when people complain to me about that they have to drive, you know, 20 minutes. I'm like, you know, try four buses and trains and two and a half hours later to get to a sales appointment. Like that's outstanding what you've done. And, you know, where where do you think this work ethic comes from? I mean, I know you got into business and you've spent every cent on getting into business and you've got to make it work, but that's not something that everybody actually does. Not everybody has that drive. Is there a point in time in your life or is it just who you are or is it something you discovered about yourself to have this drive to to be willing to you know, take four buses and trains and two and a half hours later get to an appointment? Gosh, what an interesting question and so many angles I can take from that, Tracy. There's a bit of both. I may have a great work ethic now, but that wasn't always the case. When I was younger, um, I very much so did the minimum I could with work. I guess working hard when you were at the job came from telesales because you're in a very controlled environment. If you don't do those 130 calls, you soon kick it kicked out the door. So I guess from that part, that really gave me good training for just when you're working, get your head down and you do the maximum you can do. But the work ethic from actually making sure you don't waste time is very much so a learnt behaviour and anybody can do it, but they've got to realise that when you go to work, work as much as you can. There's no point being there if you're sitting playing on Facebook or doing the minimum. And I guess it's really from both mentors and listening to people like Tony Woods, reading business books, um, Zig Ziglar's. I'm constantly always trying to absorb that information. So I'll be reading business books, but whenever I'm in the car, I know we've had a chat about podcasts before. You you mentioned that you clean the house and you're doing the uh, podcast. I'm the same. If I'm driving in the car and I'm working, 
I will be listening to training videos, training CDs, motivational, anything that I'm just always learning and I really try not to waste that time. And just generally making the most of anything that we've got. You know, we've put a lot of money into the business. Why on earth would you do that and not try to get the best out of it? Oh, you, you're singing from the same song sheet as me. I, I love that. You know, when I first started in um, my coaching business, I realised I needed to upskill really quickly. And for the first couple of years in my business, every Monday was a learning Monday. I would be just learning all day, reading, watching videos, whatever it took. I used to do practice seminars in my lounge room. And I love hearing when business owners actually understand that, you know, taking that time to learn and using that that time. And I can't remember who it is. It might have been John Maxwell or Brian Tracy. It was one of those grand motivational type of people out there. They've always said, you know, you want to turn your car into your university um, when you're in business. Take every opportunity, exactly what you're saying, to learn. Like, you know, you can listen to the radio, but it's garbage in, garbage out, is once someone told me. And you've got that opportunity to listen and to learn. Hey, I just wanted to take a minute from the podcast to tell you about an upcoming event that the Franchise Council of Australia is holding. It's the Multi-Unit Summit on Friday, the 9th of August, 2019. We all know that small business requires skill, balance and forethought and hard work. If you want to grow in either numbers of locations or quality of your operations, then the Multi-Unit Franchising Summit is a must-attend event. The Franchise Council of Australia has organised top business speakers who will be sharing their experiences and franchising success stories in a comprehensive, exciting and informative day. Head over to the Franchise Council of Australia's website at www.franchise.org.au for more details. I'll be helping out on the day, so please come and say hi, and I look forward to seeing you there. I love that, and I think it'll be no surprise to anyone when I, I talk to you about the next thing I want to talk to you about is that you went from that journey of no car <laughs> through to getting a car and then having it smashed by a logistics company, which is kind of ironic and kind of funny at the same time. But you actually became Australian Franchisee of the Year with two or less staff in 2017. This is of all the franchises in Australia, you were named Australian Franchisee of the Year. What was that like and how did you get that journey from no car to Australian Franchisee of the Year? A great question and it's certainly an awesome accolade that I would never have thought I would get. And I'll be honest, Tracy, I would never have thought to put myself forward for anything like this. It's not something, just like starting the business, you think I'm not good enough, great people win that. And it was because somebody else nominated me and they nominated me for a different award and that was the year before. So it was actually the woman of the year that I was nominated for the year before. And I was astounded when they nominated me. I Just the response I've given, don't be silly, I'm not good enough. Um, and they said, Beth, you'd be surprised what these people are winning. They're doing very similar to what you're doing. Uh, why don't you just have a go? So my brother helped me out with the application. We sat together and he was really good at saying, hey, Bev, why aren't you putting this on here? You do all this work with the franchise, all your women running winning committees here, this charity work, you're training and mentoring new people. All of this is information that you've got to brag about almost and put it on the application. That year, previous to winning single unit, 
I came runner-up New South Wales of the Year for Women of the Year. And that was a really good ego boost almost. And the feedback that the Franchise Council of Australia gives back on your application really helped you write a better application the next year. So for the application itself, I've got guidance from them where I've done well and where I needed to build on questions. Now, it was a pretty phenomenal year how I'd actually got to that stage where I could brag so much and display all this growth and doing so well. And what I did in my second year that really made the difference is I really started to benchmark and encompass all the other franchisees. So in Australia, I've done a bit of benchmarking, pallied up with many mentors or helpers or people just willing to go out door knocking, see how they're running the business, get tips and pointers on account management. But uh, I decided to fund a trip to the USA to go to the USA conference. And I also went to the UK to benchmark with some of the franchisees there. They're probably a good 10 years ahead of Australia. So anything they've done is what we're going to be doing in the next 10 years. I've got so much work, how to work better, how to work with customers better, more knowledge about logistics. And that year grew 50%. And it was in about its third year, which is quite a big growth. I've never seen anything like it since. And it was pure because of all the benching and the extras I'd been doing so that I could work better. And that's what led me to win single unit of the year. I actually came up runner-up woman of the year the same year and won single unit. And that was just completely blew me away. And in the same year, I won Express's franchise of the year as well. So I've got quite a, a, a strong shelf at the moment now, supporting these amazing trophies that I have been very fortunate to have won and just been part of. And I'm so grateful for having the opportunity to do that. Yes, and I think maybe we should tell the secret that just before we started recording, I said, now what year was it you won Franchisee of the Year? And you're like, hold on, is it this one or this one? You couldn't remember which award. So we actually went to the trophy to see what year was on the trophy. So I think that's fabulous. And that just shows how humble you are to actually win that. And I think that's something that people don't realise is it's actually hard to um, put in an application and the people who win Franchisee of the Year or Franchisor of the Year or any of these Australian, uh, the national awards, often talk about how hard it was to actually put forward all the things they do so that they didn't seem like they were bragging, that they were just actually telling them everything they'd done. And oftentimes the people that win have a long list of things that they do and they forget most of the things they do. So I love the fact that your brother pushed you to be honest and and actually talk about all the good work that you do. And what I also loved was the fact that you went around the world to talk to other and express franchisees and, and learn from the best in your industry. And that leads to my next question, which is based very much on peer-to-peer support. I, I'm a, a big believer in a franchise group that the the best support you get is from your peers, from the other franchisees. But I was actually at the gala dinner when you won Franchisee of the Year. It was the same year we had the fun bus ride. So I remember cheering extremely loudly when you won. Um, And it was amazing when you got up there and you spoke and you were so humble and excited to win the award. But you did something that was very profound to me and something that I've not forgotten since. And you took the time in your acceptance speech to actually thank a couple of the other franchisees within an express 
that it helped you. You know, you named them, you talked about the other franchisees, that they had helped and mentored you. Tell me how that mentoring, how that helped you and and what was so good about that peer-to-peer support in Australia and, and now we're learning also in the US and the UK. What did that do for you? Tracy, you're making me blush prouder <laughs> and it's so lovely to know that you were there cheering so loud for me. It really was. Um, but I am very much so in belief that acknowledge people that get you where they are. People respond to being thanked and it generally spares them on to help other people. But that's what I love about franchising as well. Because most models, the other franchisors, yes, you may be in competition with them, but they see you as family. This is our work group and so many of them are so willing to help. And that is certainly the case, I would say, in 95% of my franchising express. And I'm sure it's similar in most of the models. So when I first started, there were two young guns called Sean and Sam. We call them young guns because they were straight out of uni. Uh, They'd only been doing it about a year and a half, two years, but they completely took me under my wing and they spent time with me before I even started in Express whilst I was researching. They took me door knocking to check that I thought I could do it and would like it. They showed me the system, showed me the systems coming in and what money they were making and how it would grow. And then when I started the Express model, that just went from strength to strength. We went out together maybe once a month as a minimum, but we spoke weekly. They helped me with invoices. And those two gentlemen, Sean and Sam, were the main people I wanted to thank when I did that acceptance speech because... I would not have been there without them. I really wouldn't have. But there's been many people in InExpress and out of InExpress that have helped me. All those people in the UK and uh, the USA who have let me go sit with them for an afternoon, listen to them on the phone. Even new franchisees, they think I'm doing them the favour by taking them out door knocking. But I always get one or two tips or pointers on new ideas that you get from a new franchisee that an old one would never offer you. So it's it's really good just to keep that mentality that always be learning, always be benchmarking, don't ever get to the level where you think you're good and you can't learn anything. There's always more and we're just lucky that we're in the sort of franchising model where people are willing to do that. So I feel very lucky. I think that you've said something beautiful there, which is that you also learn when you're now helping new franchisees. And I think that a lot of people think that, oh, is this taking away from my time to help other people? But you will always learn something when you help someone else. You know, I often even say sometimes when I'm, I'm helping someone, I'm like, gee, this is good. I need to start taking notes for my own business. You know, you're, you're always going to be learning. So, on that note, you were talking about door knocking. Now, that's something that's ingrained in the InExpress model, something that works brilliantly for you is to to just go out and do what I would call bold calling. So it's like cold calling, but you're doing it in person or door knocking, walking into businesses and seeing if you can help them. That's that's something that would be fairly high on most people's fear factor list and, and it takes a bit of confidence. What are your top tips for people to actually do that, to overcome the fear and go in and, and how do you get past that gatekeeper? How, how, are you, how are you doing that besides that lovely English accent? How are you getting in there and making that successful for yourself? 
you know, sometimes the accent goes against me, Tracy, <laughs> rather than for me, unless the person's English on the counter. <laughs> <laughs> um, logistics actually can be quite misogynist, um, if that's the right terminology. Um, quite often, if you're approaching gentlemen in warehousing, they... They may turn their nose up a little bit uh, sometimes towards women or um, even English. Um, but cold calling generally is probably the least favorite part of my job. Some franchisees do it my I wouldn't go as far to say as I hate it because it's what brings in the money. But it's not something that I think, brilliant, I could go door knocking this morning. Isn't it a wonderful day? The weather is torrential rain. I can't wait to get out there. <laughs> but when you know it's bringing you the best revenue and it's your business, you certainly tend to favour the things that you don't like so much if it brings in the revenue. So there's a few tips and pointers. And the main thing is, is keeping yourself motivated. Everybody has bad days. Everybody has good days. And sometimes you might get walked out of an office, not too often, thankfully. Um, but sometimes you just may get no after no after no. And this is where it's really important to keep your motivation up. And to do things like that, I tend to try and listen to somebody motivational on the way to door knocking. So that could be the Zig Ziglar's, the Tony Wins, the Brian Traces of the world. And um, I also have a playlist on my iPhone called Motivation and Happy. And what I do is if I get in a bit of a rut, I just try to listen to some of those motivational tunes. I'll get the Eye of the Tiger or something similar, maybe Rocky Balboa. And uh, I'll just listen to a few tunes and get get back out there. The main thing is, is just remember it's not forever. Give yourself that window. I'll do this for three hours. If you really hate it, give yourself a treat afterwards. Okay, I can buy a hot chocolate instead of have a water after this. Set yourself little tasks, keep yourself motivated, and just remember you're knocking on people's doors. You could be interrupting a really bad time in their life. They could have such personal things going on or just a really bad morning. If somebody says no, it's not personal. Just move on to the next one. Try and brush yourself down, keep smiling, and move on. I think I need Bev Taylor in my playlist as a motivation. That's fantastic. I'm just interrupting today's podcast with a little reminder. If you're enjoying this episode, make sure you share it with your fellow franchisees. Let's see how many people we can actually help in franchising. Because I think it's not just door knocking you're talking about. I think that's anything in business is finding that motivation. I agree. We all work from home and it can get very solitary and uh, even sounds a bit sad, but it can be really lonely sometimes. Um, if you're not constantly topping up your emotional bucket and keeping yourself, you know, just motivated to picture, get a goal board by the side of your PC, you know, just little goals, what do you want to achieve this year, this week, just anything to keep yourself motivated. To me, you can never do too much. Oh, I just love talking to you. I just sit here and feel motivated just listening to you talk about it. So this year um, at the International Franchise Association Convention in Las Vegas, um, I go every year and you were also there this year. I don't know, was that your first time going to the IFA? 
It was the second. I tried to go biannually, but I'd just got my CFE, so that was a bit of a reason to go. It was purely glory-seeking to get on the stage. Obviously, yeah, get all the other nuggets of, of work. I love that. It, totally go for the glory. I, I got my CFE the year before with Sean and Sam, which was a very funny story, which we won't relate right now, but um, it was a funny story. Um, but what did you learn at the IFA going to see, you know, there's four and a half thousand delegates from lots of different franchise groups. What did you learn by putting yourself into that environment? The first time I went was probably the biggest impact this had. Um, I didn't really know what to expect from the IFA. And a lot of the content um, was tailored a bit more towards franchisors than franchisees. People are quite surprised with the biggest takeout that I got from the first IFA. They all thought I'd learned some knowledge in this area or knowledge in the other area. But actually, the biggest thing I took from it was getting over my fear of networking. And it's quite funny because you mentioned at the beginning, Tracy, that from talking to me, you assume I'm a, a bubbly, confident person who would never have any fear of not having the self-belief or even just, you know, making conversations with people. One thing I cannot do and hate doing and just get so scared is I could not walk up to a stranger and start a conversation. Didn't know what to say and I was scared. Felt like I was interrupting them. After you've been at the IFA with, what, three, 4,000 people, you'll get over that fear pretty quick. People just come to you and you'll go to them. So really, being able to just walk up to people after the IFA was one of the best things I learned. My questions to have have up my sleeve, generic ones to open conversation, and I just lost that fear. Now, don't get me wrong, there was a lot of great value, and I think probably because I was so overwhelmed at the first one, I got more value out of the second one I attended. This is where I really started learning about the importance of brand value, how to increase the brand of my franchise just by increasing the brand generally for all franchisees. But I've learned really to see the other side from the franchisor, how to work better with them. What are they looking for? You know, how can I complement that rather than thinking what's in it for me? What am I going for? And it really has helped build that relationship to work with them more intelligently because I'm always conscious about what they're looking for. And because I've learned about the brand development, this is why I'll always get involved in things like podcasts, get in there in Express out there and they love me for it. That builds relationships and there's nothing like being able to ask for something or help when you've already built those credits up. It's amazing the better responses you get, Tracy. <laughs> and that's so funny because that's actually my next question is is that from the outside, looking inside to InExpress, I, I always look at the brand and I, I know lots of the players involved. I know some of the franchisees. I know the, the team at head office that it always seems from the outside that there is a brilliant relationship between the franchisor and the franchisees. It seems that everybody's sort of working in unison and you've just sort of mentioned that, but what do you think is the reason that that's the case? And is that the case? Is it the same on the inside as I'm seeing from the outside? But, you know, what do you think has really enabled that to happen? I think that that's 
should be the case for any franchise model. It's the only way to work and develop together and it's the best way to do it. I do appreciate with some franchisees, you've always got some that have got a conflict with franchisee, franchisor. I don't think you'll ever eliminate that. But to minimize it, it's all about franchising and franchise relations. And I'm a big believer in you reap what you sow. So by showing that you're willing to help them in any way that you can do, really build that respect, the trust, and the partnership between franchisor and franchisee. So I will, wherever possible, but on the same breath, I will say no if I don't think I'm the right person or if something's happening with my franchise that I really just can't do. But I'll put my hand up to mentor new franchisees. If we're doing a deployment of a new strategy, they might include me for feedback. I'm on the Business Development Council, which has been set up as a bit of a conduit to go between the franchisor and the franchisees. So I work in the finance pillar. So I'm helping people with the P&Ls or relaying back what we need training. And really, it's just make sure that you're engaging, you're helping out where you can, or you give a reason for why you can't help on a particular instance. Um, and once again, chocolates are my best friend, Tracy. We've got customer service workers in the head office. Um, they're the people I speak to most days. You know, They're the ones who are really going out to help me. You won't believe how far just, you know, a box of celebrations or something sent now and again to say thank you. It really makes a difference, you know, to them feeling worthy or, you know, thankful for what they're actually doing for you. It's amazing. Just little cards afterwards, remembering people's birthdays, saying thank you, sending an email, just really outlining how they've helped you. All of that just really builds that relationship. And I just don't think people do it enough. Uh, I couldn't agree more. And I actually say that to new franchisees. If I'm ever doing initial franchise training for a group, I often say to the franchisees, because I'm a consultant, I come from the outside in, and I often say to them, do you want to know the secret? And they're like, yeah, I want to know the secret. I'm like, be super, super friendly and helpful and always say thank you to the head office staff. Because one day you're going to need something and you're going to need help or something urgently. And if they like you, guess who gets put to the top of the queue? It, it You know, I, I did another podcast with someone else and they said, you know, manners cost nothing. And I was like, that's such a good point. Manners cost you nothing, but what you will reap from that is amazing. So I just love the fact that, you know, that's how you talk and you can't, doubt why you won Australian Franchisee of the Year. I didn't even know you came runner-up Woman of the Year in that, but it's incredible. So whilst (laughs) I've got you here and we're talking to the Australian Franchisee of the Year single unit for 2017, what would be your top tips for franchisees out there? They may be in other brands, but what are your top tips to actually help them to take advantage of the opportunity they've got in front of them and to grow and build their business. What what are your top tips? Yep. I'll probably refer to one of my favorite sayings, the grass is always greenest where you water it. Um, and it's the same whether you're speaking to the franchise or whether you're speaking to customers or running a business. 
you literally will always reap what you sow. Um, couldn't agree more with the comments you made earlier about manners cost nothing. Thank yous cost nothing. Acknowledgements cost nothing. So very much so reach out for as much help as you can. Don't be scared to, but make sure that you're offering the help as well. You can't take deposits out of people, emotional or work bank, unless you're putting deposits in. So make sure you're watering many gardens because when you come to me to pick those flowers, if you've only got long grass or dead weeds, you're going to get nothing back. So when you're working, work as hard as you can. Don't miss opportunities. Don't waste it. Be grateful what you've got. Be thankful what you've got. Tell people, acknowledge them, and just always be mindful of doing that. Those are probably the best tips I can give. And and don't be scared as well. Don't be fearful like me. I know it's probably what's built me to where I am today, but you know, a lot of things I, I delayed doing the franchise for a year because I was scared and nervous. Um, maybe I needed that for the confidence that I would do okay. But, you know, if something looks good and you've done your due diligence, just go for it and always be thankful to the people who get you up there and help you out. Bev, you have been an absolute delight to interview and I can't wait for our next bus ride somewhere where we'll be in fits of laughter. Um, But I think that the value you have been able to provide today to other franchisees out there that are listening to this, I hope that everybody else has grabbed out a a notepad and a pen and, and taken notes from what you've said today because even though it may seem like simple ideas to you, what you have done is absolutely brilliant and you've come in and made yourself a real integral part of the InExpress team and you've really learnt how to say thank you to people and to get out there and motivate yourself. So, uh, hey, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate that you've spent that time with us today. Always a pleasure, Tracy. You are such a joy. You really are. I love how you're always smiling and happy. I really, I mean, I, I, I'm always involved in these sorts of things, but it's been an absolute joy to do it with yourself today. So thank you for that opportunity. I hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. Remember to come over to the Profitable Franchisees website for more episodes of the podcast and to also grab your copy of the Profitable Franchisees Monthly Insider. It's not a standard newsletter. There's a monthly business lesson to really add value to your business and it's 100% free. You can get it all at www.profitablefranchisees.com. Can't wait for you to join us on the next podcast. Mm -hmm.